God, help us to be attentive to your word, uh, to your scriptures, to the Bible, to what we will read, but uh, attentive to your word through your spirit to us as a body and to each of us individually. Uh, give us uh, uh, freedom from distractions, freedom from our prejudices, freedom from our predilections and our own expectations. Uh, give us, as the scriptures say, eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that are good and fertile soil to receive your word, to be in communion with you. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words in any way deviate from your word, uh, may they not even be heard. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. We're reading this morning from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, and I'm going to read what I call selected verses uh, this morning, which sometimes can be a dangerous thing, but in this case, not so much so. Uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, and particularly chapter 6, is made up of a, what I would call a conglomerate of verses, passages, ideas that Luke has gathered together uh, in his collection and in his uh, learning about Jesus, listening to Jesus, talking to eyewitnesses. And this collection he puts together in kind of a somewhat organized way in chapter 6. We know that it was a conglomerate or a sort of a putting together of different verses because in Matthew's gospel, which is most closely similar to Luke's gospel, these verses occur in lots of different chapters in lots of different places. So Luke has brought them together in a passage, a section of scripture that we call chapter 6, but which scholars sometimes call Jesus' Sermon on the Level, in contrast to his Sermon on the Mount. So listen closely as I read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. This is the Word of God. One of those days, Jesus went out uh, to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, Jesus called his disciples to himself and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter or Petros or Rocky, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who would become a traitor. Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there already and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear Jesus and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch Jesus because power was coming from him and healing them all. And then Jesus pronounced what have been called in other places beatitudes, such as the next verse, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Not poor in spirit here, but simply poor. And then Jesus, after a few of these blessings, blesseds, beatitudes, pronounces several woes in Luke's gospel, beginning with this one. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. And Jesus continued, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who, are, who love them. 
And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners, quote unquote, do that. But love your enemies, do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Skip to verse 39. Jesus also then told this parable, which may be his shortest of all parables. Just a little bitty thing. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not fall, both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How do you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, you pretender, you actor. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I'm going to stop there. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah. And thanks be to God, there is in all of that somewhat seemingly disconnected scripture reason to give thanks to God for the truth and the grace and the hope. Luke seems to identify many people in this passage as his disciples. Many more than just the 12. Luke is generous here. Jesus was treated as, considered, and called rabbi, a rabbi, a teacher. And around him and listening to him and learning from him and following him were many disciples, students, apprentices, learners, adherents in various degrees and stages. And in verse 13, Jesus calls 12 of those disciples to himself to serve specifically as apostles. And an apostle is one who is sent. To be an apostle is one who is sent or who goes out. And in Jesus' case, these apostles were to go out with the message of the gospel of the kingdom, to proclaim, to demonstrate, and to embody in themselves the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom that God had brought about, God was bringing about, God would bring about. But all of Jesus' disciples, all of Jesus' disciples, both those who he calls apostles and all the rest, were called to learn from Jesus, to follow Jesus, to be his students, and Jesus taught them all. And Luke tells us that he healed many of them. And Jesus spoke the incisive truth even when it hurt, even when people didn't want to hear it, both the blessings and the woes. And we get the sense that Jesus was a person out of whom just emanated power and emanated truth. And if we look at the bigger passage of Scripture, Jesus doesn't just have this, but he's empowered by his time in the desert, by his time in the wilderness, by his time after that of solitude on the mountains and celebrating in the verses that we didn't read at the beginning of chapter six, always the Sabbath, always time in the synagogue, always time alone from people, time alone in solitude and with his father being empowered. And his message about loving one's enemies reflects that. 
He talks about blessing one's enemies, learning, uh, loaning to one's enemies, giving to one's enemies, showing mercy to one's enemies, and the ability and the power not just to teach that, but for Jesus himself to do that comes out of his time alone with his Father in solitude on the mountain. And then Jesus told what was probably his shortest parable ever. Can the blind lead the blind? And the expected answer, spoken or unspoken by his disciples and those people around him, was of course not. No. Can the blind lead the blind? No. Will they both fall into a pit? And the response or the expected response, the given response was yes. If the blind follow the blind, they will both fall into a pit. And by this, Jesus was warning his disciples to not follow blind teachers who cannot see or who choose not to see, who are and who remain blinded by prejudice and greed and judgmentalism, the context tells us, who are blinded by power, who are blinded by pride, who busy themselves with taking the specks of sawdust or the splinters out of the eyes of other people, but who refuse to acknowledge and to see and to do anything about the two-by-fours, the planks in their own eyes. They are blind, Jesus says. Watch out for such leaders. Do not follow them. And Jesus continued with what comes right after this little parable. The student is not above the teacher. And this is almost always the case. Teachers are farther along on the road, the path, the journey, life than their students. Rarely will a student grow or excel beyond the level of his or her teacher. This is just reality. But Jesus says, everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. That's what we want to focus on this morning. Everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And Jesus here is saying two things to his disciples and to the church about spiritual leadership, about the teachers in one's own life. First, choose your teachers carefully. A student or a disciple or an apprentice will not grow beyond the level of his or her teacher. Normally in that culture and at that time, students would choose their teacher, their rabbi. They would ask, they would appeal to a teacher, may I be your student? And so Jesus says to them first, choose carefully when you are looking for teachers in life. A kindergarten teacher may be fine for a kindergarten student, for someone early in the, in the spiritual journey. In fact, an elementary school teacher is appropriate for someone who is elementary age. A middle school teacher, appropriate. A high school teacher, appropriate for someone of that age and stage. But as a person grows, and if he or she wants to grow, the student, the student needs a teacher or a mentor who can take him or her to each successive level of maturity, both spiritual and otherwise. And God wants us to grow. God intends that we continually be growing. Jesus said in verse 36, be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And what Jesus means in that context in the Sermon on the Mount is be perfect in love, be complete, be whole, arrive, 
be mature in love. God wants us to grow, to always be growing into the image and the likeness of Jesus, always learning and growing as if we were in some sort of school of life, some sort of ongoing school training. And that's what Jesus was actually running. He was running this sort of itinerant traveling school for his disciples, his students, his apprentices, his followers. And maybe we don't pick that up when we read the Gospels and piecemeal, but that's what Jesus is doing. He calls these men to himself early on, and then he asks them to travel with him, to go where he goes, and to not just observe, but in that process learn and become. Jesus intends that we grow, that we continually mature in following him. And so his first thing is, be careful, be attentive, be prayerful, be aware when you choose a teacher, when you follow a rabbi. And the second thing that Jesus says about spiritual leadership and the teachers or the rabbis in one's life is this, everyone who is fully trained will be or become like their teacher. Everyone who is fully trained, who gets fully trained, who becomes fully trained, will become like their rabbi. And this is the goal. This is the hope. This is the purpose. In Jesus' day, students of the scriptures and the faith of the Jewish people, as I said, would choose their rabbi. And then there was this process where they became, hopefully, ideally, like their rabbi. They not only would learn from them, head knowledge, but also seek to emulate them. Everyone who is fully trained will become like their teacher. And that is why online schools, in other words, like online college, would not have been possible in Jesus' day in the context of Jewish rabbinical schools not primarily because the internet existed, didn't exist, because of course it didn't exist, but rather because learning was not simply about the transfer of information and data and knowledge, but rather about a person becoming mind, heart, and spirit, character, disciplines, and affections, about a person becoming like another person. Are you with me? The point was not information, but transformation. Say that to the person next to you because I'm afraid we're not awake here. The point was not information, but transformation. Do we need to say, should we say it again all together? The point was not information, but transformation. And so Jesus was speaking to his disciples and what would become the church about the spiritual leaders in their lives because their growth and their maturity and really their lives depended on this process, this journey, this path, this thing that they were to undertake with a rabbi. At the same time, Jesus was identifying himself as their true and their quintessential teacher, rabbi, leader. And in so doing, Jesus was calling followers to be like him, to train, to become like him. Some of you have a personal trainer. You belong to a gym. You have a plan. You are accountable to someone to stay healthy, to get healthy, to train your body, 
to work out, to meet certain goals. It is the same way with Jesus. He intends that we train our spirits, our persons, our personalities, our character, our disciplines, our affections. And that we become like him, that we pay attention to him, that we watch Jesus, imitate Jesus, walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, and live a life as much as we can and as much as it is up to us like Jesus. And this is not too lofty a goal for Jesus. Become like your teacher, he says. This was Jesus' call. And that is how we can talk about the school of Jesus. In Jesus, God calls us to a lifetime of learning and growing and maturity and becoming. Sunday school does not cut it. Sunday school will not cut it. Sitting in a classroom will not cut it. Listening to sermons will not cut it. Even being in a Bible study alone will not cut it. Again, God is calling us in Jesus Christ to transformation rather than the accumulation of knowledge or information. He is calling us to the renovation of our hearts and the maturing and the maturity of our entire beings. And this requires a holistic approach. And this requires intention, a decision and the will to go down that path. God will do his part. He has and he will by his grace and through his spirit, through his indwelling power and presence that we talked about in May. But we also have a part, a role. God gives us a role, a part, responsibility of our own. And yet when one stands back and considers the Western church today, it seems that few have enrolled or positioned themselves at the feet of Rabbi Jesus, have enrolled themselves in the school of Jesus, at least beyond elementary school, beyond the most basics of Jesus' way, Jesus' heart, Jesus' character, Jesus' commitments. Think about this. Think about those who identify themselves as Christians today. The normal path, or what it seems, is broadly accepted as the normative path for a Christian in the West today might look something like this. And I don't mean to be overly critical or judgmental, but simply observing. First, affirm that you are a Christian. In other words, that you're in Jesus' camp. Say that you believe in Jesus. Affirm some key tenets of the Christian faith like you are a sinner and Christ died on the cross so that you could go to heaven. Two, join a church and maybe get baptized if you were not baptized as a child. Or for some, simply get baptized and leave out the church part. Third, go to church, in quotes. Go to church on Sunday mornings, when it's convenient and when it fits into one's schedule. All of the data says that fewer people are going, to, fewer Christians are going to church now. Just doesn't fit into our getting fuller schedules and lives. Wait, and then number four, wait until you die and go to heaven. But is that not how it is? 
And then number five, along the way, you may or may not study the Bible in some way, shape, or form. Make regular or periodic donations. I hate it. To a church. And volunteer in some ministry if it fits into your schedule and if it's meaningful for you. You, us, them, me. And yet Jesus' vision for his disciples, his students, his followers, his apprentices was that they enter into this rigorous, all-encompassing process and journey of becoming like him. In the words of Dallas Willard that are printed on the cover of our bulletins this morning, Jesus invited people to follow him into that sort of life from which behavior such as loving one's enemies, which he talks a lot about here in chapter 6, will seem like the only sensible and happy thing to do. For a person living that life, the hard thing to do would be to hate the enemy, to turn the supplicant away, or to curse the cursor, just as it was for Christ. True Christ-likeness, true companionship with Christ comes at the point where it is hard not to respond as he would. And I read that and it seems in some way so far off to me, so far away, so upside down but so where and who we are intended to be. And yet, despite this reality, most churches today have no such plan for helping people along that journey, which makes it all the more valid, which makes all the more valid Jesus' question at verse 46, the last piece of scripture we read. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? Jesus says to do all of these hard things like loving one's enemy, but so much more. And we don't even try to do them. We don't have a plan to train ourselves, to prepare ourselves. We aren't on a course toward maturity that would make doing such things normal and easy and the happier option. Do you understand? And admittedly this, admittedly, this has been a crucial area that has lacked attention in our community, in our congregation recently. But our elders want to change that. And they have recommitted themselves and on our behalf recommitted ourselves as a body to such a vision and such a mission during the coming year and beyond. Our stated mission as a congregation is to honor God by helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus or for us as students to become like our teacher, which presumes our mission does that we ourselves are becoming continually more and more fully devoted followers of Jesus, that we are on the path of becoming like our rabbi, that we have undertaken and are committed to a path and a plan or a regimen of training by which and through which, with God's help, we become like our teacher, at least as far as such is possible for us mere human beings. I don't know about you, but in some ways I have thrown out that whole idea because I can't become like Jesus. He was God. He was perfect. He was Savior. I'm just a mere human. I'm always going to be a sinner. We affirm those things. And so why even try? Why even get on that path? I'm forgiven. My ticket to heaven has been punched. I'm good to go. Now I just need to wait out in pleasure and comfort the duration of this life. 
and trust that it goes well in my Christianhood. Are you with me? The Apostle Paul says in multiple ways and places, follow me as I follow Jesus. And he too does his best to live into the way of Jesus, his life, so that Paul can do these amazing things. And he is filled with this amazing power because he has fully devoted himself to following the path he has trained himself and continues to train himself in righteousness and in the way of grace and in the way of Jesus. You and I know that if we did this, that the world would be a better place, that our community would be a better place, that our families would be a better place, that our workplaces would be better off. We know this, don't we? It is to such a life that God calls us. As Jim prayed for us, God is calling us to more than lofty feelings, the happy life, lots of colors and lights and delights. But God is calling us to a kingdom that will have no end. Think about this. I just will close with this remark. Jesus talked about one thing far more than he talked about everything else. And that thing was the kingdom of God. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. Which may confuse many of us into thinking it's something different. Matthew's reluctant to say God because he's a good Jew at heart. But what Jesus was talking about was the kingdom of God, but we have thought about that kingdom being out there long into the future, when we die, the place we go. But Jesus talks about the kingdom of God as present, as reality, as here and now that you can enter it, that you can be a part of it, that you can experience it, that you can be revived and refreshed in and by it, that God will be glorified in and as it comes in our midst and together. But when we think of the kingdom of God as simply a place way out there in the distant future after we die and they put us in the ground, then we negate all of Jesus' teaching about the kingdom coming now that we prayed Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom is coming and it comes not when we die, but when we become like our teacher. When we train and long and yearn and discipline ourselves and intend to become like the master, to become like the rabbi we follow. That is what awaits us in and as we seek to follow him as disciples, as students, as apprentices who are becoming. By God's grace, may he help us in that regard. Let's pray.
God, now and in the coming weeks and months and years, save us from powerless Christianity. Save us from churchianity. Save us from complacency. Save us from ambivalence. Save us from low expectations. Save us from misunderstanding. Save us from delusions. Save us from our pride and our prejudices and our fears. And save us to yourself and for your kingdom. Immerse us in the way and the teaching and the life and the power of Jesus. Help us by your grace to walk in his steps, to train as we would for a sport or an activity or a goal or a test. Train us and help us to train in the way of our master, in the way of our rabbi, in the way of our teacher, in the way of our savior. And in that, bring about your kingdom and be glorified. We pray in Christ. Amen. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy.